And so, church family, good to see you all. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, as we consider a story when you showed up to Job, so I'm asking the same, that you would show up to us. You've promised to accomplish the purpose for which you send your word. And so, Lord, do that today in these moments. Speak to our hearts. Speak a word of peace, of perspective, and let us see again your incredible love. In Jesus' name, amen. So this past week, I had an opportunity to go to a conference with our staff. Uh, we went to a conference called the Global Leadership Summit. Has anyone ever heard of this conference? Uh, a few people. Uh, if you've never been to the conference, perhaps you're intrigued by the idea of leadership. Maybe at one time or another you said, how can I become a better leader? Well, I wanted to share with you some of the things that I heard from some incredible people, incredible leaders, incredible pastors. This past week, I heard from a pastor named Craig Rochelle who said, if you want to be a good leader, any good leader will have this, a heart to care. All those that you've worked for who, who identifiably cared for you, who, who had a heart for you, you, you thought that, man, that, that is good leadership. They know my name. They, they know who I am. He also said that you need a willingness to inspire, someone who can draw the best out of people, a willingness to inspire. I heard other people talk um, one, a leader in, in cross-cultural leadership, going from country to country. What is it like uh, to be good in a cross-cultural setting? We also heard a, a gal by the name of Danielle Strickland speak into a hot topic for today, which is the dichotomy of how men interact with women and how women interact with men. And is that always going well nowadays? And she shared this vision that she believes that actually men and women are better together. That that's what she believes and, and that she, she didn't give up on. And this is something that's confirmed, I think, in Scripture, too. If you read from Genesis, you read that we're actually designed to be different but to complement each other as counterparts. And so a couple more things that I heard was cross-cultural strategy is a curiosity to learn from those cultures and then a strategy based on your learning to then interact with wisdom. And, and when it comes to men and women, that, that men and women are better together. And I was, I was head-nodding all these things. I heard from a guy named John Maxwell. I don't know if you've ever heard of John Maxwell. Leadership guru for a long time. I heard people bring up the, the curse of confidence. And they were saying that confidence is good, but when you're overconfident, often you don't take feedback. Often you're unwilling to innovate because you got it all good anyway. The curse of confidence. And, and finally, I heard that, that you should learn from your mistakes. That really, to be a good leader, it's about evaluating where did you fall down? How can you pick yourself back up with wisdom, not just doing it over and over again? And I was drinking from a fire hydrant. I was drinking more than I could possibly take in. And so my simple mind said, well, what is one takeaway? What is one thing that I could learn that, that would, you know, pretty much translate to every one of these? Pretty much what I wanted was a key. And if you were part of the staff or if you were with me that day, I thought I found a key, and I, I think a key that I wanted to share with you, if that's okay. The key that I think is running through the thread of any great leader is this, that if you want to be a successful leader, you need to have, if you're taking notes, humility. How do you have a heart to care for someone if you don't have a humility that says other people's perspective and ways is better than I? When I considered cross-cultural interaction, when I considered what's going on between the genders, how do we possibly interact well if I don't have humility to take their perspective, humility to walk in their shoes? 
I consider the curse of confidence. How, how will I ever hear that I could be susceptible to failure or wrong, even right now, even though I think I'm right, if I don't have humility? It's a thread, I think, paved throughout all of this. And, and so I think a better question is, well, how do you gain humility? And for me, I got it last week as I was at the church picnic and my fourth grade daughter splashed me with water in dress clothes. That's but I kid. How do I gain humility? If it's really that essential, and if, if you're head nodding that to any degree, or, or maybe you thought, you know, there is value in humility, how do, I, how do I get there? You know, that's why I love gathering in this place with you all. Do you know it's encouraging to see you today? Do you know there's a back and forth going on right now? Where you encourage me, and hopefully by, by God's grace, I encourage you. And what I love being here is that we get to hear from our God. And something that we believe is that he has preserved his word miraculously through this thing called the Bible. That he had his handiwork in the preservation. And it's even backed up by the New Testament manuscript evidence um, of what's, what he's speaking. That we can trust in this word. And as we get to this word, he teaches us humility. And here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't just shame us and say, hey losers, listen up. No, you know what he does? He shows us something so far grander and bigger and more beautiful than we can possibly imagine that then we find our place. As we consider our own lives, a psalmist said, you know, there is a rock that is higher than I. Here it is. Uh, Lead me to that rock that is higher than I. And I got to be real with you, I have found that rock that is bigger than you and me and any other cultural guru, any other leader. It is our God. It is the ever-living, ever-loving Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and He is enough to build a life upon. He is the chief cornerstone of this church and the foundation of our teaching. And when we lose ourselves in the awe and wonder of who He is, it's then that we perhaps gain humility. You know, last week, if you were here, we talked a little bit about the fear of God. And the fear of God we described as a reverential awe for a God so much more powerful and beautiful than we can possibly imagine. I shared with you this picture. This is what it's like to be before God as an astronaut lost in space who who might see something more grand, who might see the the beauty and the power of space, but maybe feels kind of fragile, hoping his suit will hold out. So it is to be before God. Man, he is bigger. He is more beautiful, more powerful than we can possibly imagine. And that's what we get to consider today in these moments. So we're going to turn to the book of Job, and um, has it been good so far, Job's story? Those who are with us, good so far? And um, as, as we've been seeing his story, let me catch you up a little bit if you're just joining us. So Job is a man familiar with suffering because in the course of a day, he lost all his wealth and his children. A wealthy man lost it all. Um, stock market crashed for him, his cattle was stolen. He had 10 children, he, they were all together at a party, and, and the house blew down and lost all 10 children in a day. I can't even imagine that. To make things worse, he lost his health. And Job has been wrestling with something our society wrestles with to a large degree, which is, why do we suffer? Why is this going on? And he's been asking for God. He's like, God, would you please show up and would you explain yourself to me? God, I need to hear from you. It's so hard. Please let me know what's going on. And the drama is culminating. Because today... God shows up. He shows up in a storm. 
but he doesn't give Job what he's expecting. He doesn't give Job the why. But rather, what he does is he proves a point that we talked about last time. As we consider suffering, sometimes this is what he's teaching us, that God's thoughts and ways are moved by considerations too vast for the puny mind of man to comprehend. And I think that's a little bit what we're going to learn today. He doesn't give us the why. Do you know that? And sometimes you'll meet with a pastor, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, I wish I had an explanation. I wish I had a magic wand that would wave it away, and I don't have any of that, but I do know we serve a great God. And maybe if we get into the wonder of God, it'll change us a little bit. Maybe it'll change us to, to have some humility when we suffer. So let's, let's get into the Word. Are you ready? So the Word of God is printed for you in your worship folder. Um, it'll also be on the screen today, and we're just going to consider, unpack these words. So here it is. Job. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. So again, he shows up in a furious storm. And he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. That's a, that's a rough start, by the way. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? Where does darkness reside? The workings of the galaxies, the stars, the moon, and the sun. Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Well, surely you know, for you are already born, you have lived so many years. Yes, God does use sarcasm. The Lord said to Job later on, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And then Job answered the Lord, Sorry. <laughs> I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He's not done yet. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor. Clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in all the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Some powerful words. Some tough love. These are the words we get to consider. Could you turn to the person sitting next to you and say, God is bigger and better than you can imagine. God is bigger and better than you can imagine. God is bigger and better than you can possibly imagine. Ready to dig in and have some fun? So a few years back, I saw a movie that was intriguing and it's kind of stuck with me. Um, it's the movie called Bruce Almighty. Uh, raise your hands if you've ever seen Bruce Almighty. And it kind of reminds me of Job because he was asking the question, why? And then God shows up and he actually gives him an opportunity to be in God's position. 
and how overwhelming that might be. I remember this time when he was just wrestling with, how do I answer all the prayers? What is it like just to do this one portion of what God does every day? And I thought it was just so remarkable, I wanted to share it with you. So here's just a, a brief clip from Bruce Almighty. Prayers, prayers, okay, prayers. Uh, this creepy whisper thing has to be sure organization, right? management. That's what I need. I need a system, something concrete. Help me stop my Concentrate. Files. Let all prayers be organized into files. Well, that takes care of the voices. Not exactly a space saver, though. Grace might notice. I know. Prayer post-its! Pretty good, right? The prayer post-its. And anyone remember AOL? Is, we're, we're, we're my old people. You've got mail. It used to be significant, young kids. Sorry if you're under 18, but it used to be significant. Anyway, and that, that, that is, again, just one aspect of what God does. He answers prayer all the time. The reason this matters is because when God shows up to Job, what he is doing is similar to what we just saw. He's trying to give Job the perspective of who God is and what he's actually done. What he answers is, where were you when I created everything? He also takes a look at all the creatures of the world and what he's doing to sustain the world. As we entered into the dialogue, uh, again, remember he says this, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? He's using the terminology of a builder. It reminds me of my one summer of drywall. One summer, that should tell you something. Anyway, and, and using a plumb line and, and, and having track, you know, that's secure for your studs to go in and, um, and all the things he did. And, and it's one thing to build a wall. Can you imagine setting the track for all of creation? The pillars, the foundation, can you imagine the plumb then that was needed for the creator God? It's a whole nother level, isn't it? In fact, would you pause with me in these moments and just consider, if you will, the works of man versus the works of God? Let's go there just a little bit today. I love going to the Art Institute. My wife and I go to the Chicago Art Institute, and uh, by the way, if you enjoy it, it's a free uh, Thursdays after 5 p.m., but uh, what we really enjoy is the impressionistic art. I'm a sucker for Monet. And, and maybe you've considered some of the things Monet does. Monet, he, he paints sunsets, and he paints bridges and water lilies. He paints, I, I don't understand hay bales, but he paints hay bales. And consider with me the works of Monet, which, which are incredible, versus the works of the Creator God. Who made the hay bale? Consider the God who not only made a hay bale, but made the Amazon rainforest, who made the islands of Hawaii or Bora Bora, 
who made this, Victoria Falls. What is Monet compared to this? He is a little kid with Crayola watercolors saying, oh, isn't this pretty? Compared to the vastness of the creator God, who so intricately put together all these things that just wow us and astound us and are the inspiration for what other artists actually do. Consider the water lily of Monet versus the oceans that God created. Or the Mariana Trench, the deepness of the ocean. Do you know you could set Mount Everest in the Mariana Trench and it'd still be buried for miles of ocean in order to find, that's how deep it goes. And in the middle of the Mariana Trench, you would find something called a Dumbo octopus. How anything could live under all that water pressure, but this Dumbo octopus is found there. That's what our creator God does, Monet with your water lily. Monet might have a bridge that he painted from France. What God reminds us of are the galaxies that he created. Not just one called the Milky Way, but the galaxies upon galaxies. If you have a telescope, the the billions and some say trillions of stars that exist in all creation that are operating and working together seamlessly so that the sun can rise and the moon can rise and they can alternate. And we can see Jupiter right now and it's just incredible. What are the works of man? The puny wall that I built once versus the the work of God and what we see. And as we enter in, as we enter in, as we are serious with what these words mean, it is then that I think humility is gained because here's a takeaway if you're following. A takeaway is this, that Humility is gained when we rightly assess that there is a gap, a massive gap between us and God. Who are we to make judgments over the Almighty and what he does or doesn't do? Why should the pot respond to the potter? Why did you make me this way and what is going on? How are we to truly know? And and this is where God led Job because Job, all he could respond. Did you remember what he said? All he said is, I am, can you say that word? I am. Now in the Hebrew, what you need to know is this really means just a light thing. That's a better translation. I am a light thing in the realm of a very heavy thing. I am little in the realm of something that is enormous. And this is what we find when we peer in. What is the Art Institute compared to the Grand Canyon? But there's something else that God does. And I don't know if you caught his demeanor. Can we talk about that a little bit? His demeanor is kind of forceful, isn't it? He is asking a ton of rhetorical questions that Job would be smart not to respond to. In fact, have you ever done this or ever gotten this? Maybe for you, um, it it was a parent moment, and uh, I know there's some some people with kids here, and um, maybe your household is is similar, maybe this doesn't happen, I'm not sure, but roughhousing is going on. Let's just say there's some roughhousing going on between the siblings. And let's say that during the roughhousing, something gets broken. And let's say not only did they break something, but they do not care. What might you respond as a parent? Here's how it may go down. Do you think money grows on trees? Do you think I work for the pleasure of you breaking whatever you want? Do you have an allowance that's going to pay for what you just broke? Do you going to work for what, what, what I'm going to provide for you? What were you thinking? What were you doing? Why? Now, if you're wise, you're not going to say anything. Right? 
If you're wise, you're just going to take it because you know that you're in the wrong. You might have had a coach do this. You might have had a boss done this. What were you thinking? And what we see, uh, based on, on God's demeanor, is that it's his mission to put in place the proud. See, what the Bible would say is this, that, that God opposes the proud, that if we are proud, you're in direct opposition to the Almighty, and, and he will again try to strike the nail that is sticking out. He'll hammer it down. In fact, even when he was talking to Job over what God does, this is one of the responsibilities he said for Job. Will you as God unleash the fury of your wrath, look at all who are proud, and bring, forth, bring them low? And then you remember when Jesus shows up in the world? Did Jesus ever oppose the proud? Who did Jesus usually have strong rhetoric against? Remember? The Pharisees, right? He would dig into the Pharisees. He'd call them a brood of vipers, which is so weird as a church person because if we greeted people and said, hey, brood of vipers, they probably wouldn't come back. Not a great welcome strategy, God, you know? He called them not only brood of vipers, called them hypocrite, blind guide, whitewashed tomb, which means it looks good on the outside but ugly on the inside. But why? Because in their pride, they were missing the only point spiritually that truly mattered. In their pride, they'd rather save themselves than reach out to the Savior who is right before them. Job. Yes, he had a raw deal. Yes, it was hard for Job. But in his pride, he was accusing God. In his wrestling, he was judging God. And something you and I need to be real with is this, that it is nothing but the grace of God when he opposes you if you are filled with pride. This is a good coach. This is a loving God who hammers down the nail who is sticking out. In fact, has he ever done it? Does anyone remember a story of when he opposed you in your pride? Can I be real with you today? I'm going to give you a story that hopefully does not defame the pastorate, but I'll let you in. I remember when I had the spirit of a brat. I was on vacation, and there were many good things going on, but I was just kind of meh about him. You know what I'm talking about? Just kind of meh. Instead of being overarching thankful, if I'm true with my heart of hearts and it's embarrassing, so I'm going there hoping that you might relate to your own hearts. But inwardly, I was just kind of, I've seen things like this before. It's good, but it's not that good. I had the spirit of a brat going on pretty wild. And the next day, you know what happens? I get in the car, and it is not running. And not only me is affected, but our whole family is affected. The whole family wonders what is going to happen next. We are in this town way away from our home, and the car is not running. How are we going to enjoy anything from this point on? We pray. There may have been some tears. I'm not telling you who by. And God answers. And he didn't need to. But our car went from like system failure overload to like fine. And it was crazy, but he did it. And even the check engine light went off. Amazing, right? There is a God. 
He does better things than that, by the way. Let me just, anyway. But you know what happened? He stomped the spirit of brat right out of me. I was thankful for every mile that we went. This is a great mile. Oh, my goodness. The air conditioning's working. This is awesome. Because where I was stuck to not have air conditioning. And he stomped it right out so that I could then proceed to have a very enjoyable time enjoying so many different things that I realized once again I did not deserve at all. Has God ever done that for you? It is his grace. It is his grace that opposes your pride. And one of the greatest things he will do is he will oppose your self-righteousness. And one of the ways he does it is by humbling you to, to, to have you compelled by your own wrong or have someone else point out how wrong you were. And it is his grace when that happens. When he allows you to be real with the mess of your sin and just how ugly the consequences and how awful it is that you should ever rebel against a good and a holy God. It is his grace when your junk catches right up with you. And that's what happened with Job. And Job, in this dichotomy humbled by God, Job is being humbled, saying, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? And Job, who might have been toying with self-righteousness, what did I do to deserve this, is now put in his place, saying, Job, you still need my grace. You need me to justify you. You cannot stand before me, even as a blameless man, without grace. Friends in Christ, when we're willing to humble ourselves, it's then that we get the favor of God. If you're willing to say right now, I have been wrong, it's then that the Spirit of God can make you strive for what is right. If you're real with the fact that, yes, inwardly, I have been ugly, it's then that the beauty of Jesus Christ, which is ours by faith, it's then that the forgiveness of Jesus Christ becomes that much more beautiful because I realize just how much I need it. And if we're real, because of our pride and our sin, we don't deserve any peace, eternal life, or any goodness, but he gives us them all through faith. He gives us peace. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He gives us eternal life because as Jesus rose, so shall we. And he gives us good things. And I'm here to tell you, every good and perfect gift is from the Father of the heavenly lights. If you have something good right now, it came from a Father who loves you more than you can possibly know. If you're willing to humble yourself, man, you will receive his grace and its abundance. But he does more for Job. Can I show you also what he does? If I asked you, what, what is your favorite way of escaping? You know how I talk about escape. What is your favorite way of uh, getting released from the responsibilities, from hashtag adulting, from all the pressures of life? Anyone enjoy sports? Is that your way of escape? Maybe watching or playing sports? Any shoppers here that would say, for some of you, like shopping, like that is way more stressful than it is a re escape. For me, this is why I love going to the movies. I absolutely love going to the movies. And the reason I love going to the movies is because for about two hours, I am no longer Pastor Dustin Bloomer. I am Tom Cruise. <laughs> I am a 56-year-old man doing Mission Impossible, trying to save the world. 
And, and when it's working well, I get totally lost. I get absorbed by what's going on. You know what I'm talking about? I loved going to the theater, by the way. I still love going to the theater. Now I've got Dream Lounge. It's a good day to see a movie. Anyway, um, and, and, and you walk away, and for a while, you didn't think at all about your life. You didn't think at all about the heaviness. You didn't think at all about the problems. You didn't think at all about if something is aching or wrong. No, a good escape just releases you from all of that, and you're like, ah. What's my point? So God shows up to Job, and here's what he could have said. He could have said, I'm big, you're small, be quiet. <laughs> In fact, that's the Cliff Notes version of what he says. <laughs> I'm big, you're small, be quiet. <laughs> but what does he do instead? God walks with Job, and he gives him an escape because God not only takes him to the beginning of the creation, he also takes him to the zoo. In fact, if you read the, the verses that we left out, he is picking all the different animals, and he's saying, Job, look at the lion and how the lions get fed. Look at the, the massive strength of a horse. In fact, he even brings up this thing. He says, look at my comic relief. I made this guy, and look what I didn't give him. God did not endow her with wisdom. Mm-mm, you know, there is bird brains. You know? And so he's taking it on this tour, right? In fact, if you read other verses, he describes something called a behemoth and a leviathan. And Bible commentators, man, there's a controversy over what the behemoth and the leviathan are. Some commentators, they say it's a hippopotamus. That's the behemoth. And the leviathan is the crocodile and how massive and mighty they are. It reminds me of me going to Animal Kingdom with the kids. We went on a safari and we learned that hippopotamus can hold its breath for five minutes underwater. We heard that an elephant is pregnant for two years. We've had some pregnant ladies. Aren't you glad that wasn't the case? I've learned that a group of flamingos is called a flamboyance, and I think that's just a fun word to say. Flamboyance. <laughs> but that's what happens when you're on a safari. And so God is taking Job on this safari. He's not an animal kingdom, but he's, he's describing all these things, and he's even saying behemoth and leviathan. And other commentators say it is not actually the hippopotamus and com- crocodile. Some say actually the behemoth was an old dinosaur. And there's actually dinosaur fossil evidence that, that things that are larger than us existed at one time, that, that at one point because of a sinful world became extinct. And you know what some say the Leviathan is? Eat your heart out for mythical creatures. The desolation of smog. That maybe there was a smog. Because look at the word of God, which actually says, flames stream from its mouth, sparks of fire shoot out, smoke pours from its nostrils, from a boiling pot of burning reeds. Its breast sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. And if you haven't read your Bible in a while, now everyone's going to go back and see, is his bastard really, you know, is this really in the Bible? And, and, and you should read your Bible, but also read about Jesus, not about a dragon. But anyway, um, but that's actually in there. And what is God doing? He's letting Job escape because right now Job has just lost everything and he's still covered with boils. But I believe as he shows up, Job has probably lost himself in the wonder of something far grander. And if you are suffering, if you would say, I know what pain is, He has also paved your way in how to handle it. And what I would permit to you is that in your moments of pain, find your escape in the wonder of God. If you enjoy nature, then look at nature with this lens. The Lord Almighty who loves me and calls me better than the birds, he did this. 
and read the word, whether about the Leviathan or the Hemoth or, or Jesus Christ, and get lost in the stories of his love and his mercy. Turn to him. That was the answer for the pain. There's a final thing God does, if you'll permit me. We see this dichotomy between big and small, a strong one versus a small one. And in an earthly sense, whenever the smaller, weaker challenges the bigger, it is the, the bigger's responsibility to crush the smaller. Back to siblings. If you have a younger brother who is challenging older brother to wrestling or, or dominance, it is the older brother's job to come down and crush. Older brothers, amen. If you're a company in a marketplace and, and you have a competitor, it is your job to be superior if you are the Chicago Cubs, it is your job to beat up on the Padres and the Royals because they are not. It's what you do. And so we look at what is common in the human expression. And now we have the dichotomy between creature and creator. And creature is challenging creator. And if we're honest, we've challenged him at one point or another. And what would be logical is creator to come down and crush the creature. But you know, that's not the story this church is built upon. Because the true story is that creator became the creature and allowed himself to be crushed so that we could be set free. And it's crazy. It's illogical. No one does that. Why would you do that for me? And I still don't have an explanation to grace. Maybe that's why I don't have an explanation for suffering. But the creator becomes a creature. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the creature allowed himself to be crushed. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we have been set free and there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. And if you want humility, take your inspiration from Jesus Christ. Because when you see him, you'll understand this, that the inspiration for our humility is that creator allowed himself to be crushed for the creature instead of doing what was common, which would be crushing the weaker opponent. He allows himself to be crushed so that we could be set free. Let's find our place in the wonder of God. Let's recognize how far more grand and beautiful and powerful he is than we are. But let us also remember that he loves you more than you can possibly know right now. Amen.